0: Please join me in prayer. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. So when they had come together, They, the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer— together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In a recent conversation with a group of clergy, the topic of worry came up when someone asked, what are you most worried about right now? Now, there are a lot of predictable answers to that question, both for churches and for us as individuals. We worry about those who are sick. We worry about those at risk of getting sick. We worry about those who are isolated and lonely. We worry about finances and personnel. We worry about the way our country's divisions seem to be widening just when we desperately need to come together. All of the pastors agreed that these are things we worry about. But then one of them said, I have something else to add, though. One of the things I worry most about at my church right now is whether we are asking the right questions. Albert Einstein once said that if he had an hour to solve a problem and his life depended on the solution, he would spend the first 55 minutes figuring out the right question to ask. Because if he identified the right question, he could solve the problem in less than five minutes. Throughout the Gospels, one of the many roles played by the disciples is that they get to question Jesus. They can ask him to explain a confusing parable. They can ask why a healing worked or why it didn't. They ask him questions about timing and intention. What is he going to do and when? will it happen? Sometimes the text hints at the fact that the disciples have questions they're just too afraid to ask. And many times it seems they don't get the answers they are hoping for, especially since Jesus has a sneaky habit of answering a question with another question. As we have seen these last six weeks, while we've been hearing and reflecting on the stories of Jesus' encounters with the disciples after his resurrection, even then, the disciples are still full of questions. Is this actually Jesus? What happened to him, really? What does it all mean? And what are they supposed to do now? This story we heard today, known as the Ascension of Jesus, offers a bridge between the ministry that happens when Jesus is physically present with the disciples and the ministry that happens when Jesus is no longer with them in person. In this story, Jesus floats away on a cloud until the disciples can no longer see him, not unlike Mary Poppins with her magic umbrella. Here's a picture of one of my favorite depictions of this event at an Episcopal church in England. It's a sculpture on the ceiling depicting Jesus' feet as he disappears into the clouds. And here is what is known as the Chapel of the Ascension on the Mount of Olives in Israel. There is a foot-like depression in the rock, and locals claim that this is the exact spot where Christ departed from earth as if he sprang into the heavens with such power that the ground underneath his feet was compressed in the act. My friend Jim Somerville says that for texts like this, he encourages his congregation to ask not, did this really happen? But rather, what is God trying to say here? Or what can we learn about God through this story? Another reminder that when we are reading the Bible, the questions we ask matter. In this last conversation between Jesus and the disciples before he is no longer with them in person, the disciples ask Jesus one last question. Unfortunately, they choose the absolute wrong question to ask. It's a question that reveals just how little they have grasped who Jesus is and what He has tried to teach them. Lord, they ask him, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? After all that has happened, this question reveals how stuck the disciples are in old patterns of thinking. After everything they have seen and experienced, they are apparently still waiting for Jesus to be a Messiah who overthrows Rome and exalts God's chosen people over their enemies, restoring God's kingdom. Fortunately, Jesus never feels obligated to address only the questions he is asked. Like a wise leader, he uses whatever question he gets as an opportunity to answer the question he wanted them to ask, which seems to have been, "What now?" His answer to that question is nothing short of astonishing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he tells them, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words, what is going to happen next is profoundly different and several orders of magnitude bigger than what the disciples could imagine. The disciples were asking a personal question with nationalistic overtones. When is God going to restore and elevate our people, our tribe, our nation? When will we get to rule our own land? And when will we have enough power that we can impose our will on others? But this is not a question Jesus is interested in answering, except to say, never, that's not the point. Instead, Jesus focuses on what these disciples can do, not for themselves or their people, but for all God's people near and far. When the Holy Spirit comes, they will be empowered to share Christ's boundary-breaking, radical love to be the bearers of the good news to people and places they could not imagine were included in the circle of God's care. Now, that kind of discipleship can sound like an enormous task. But as Janet shared earlier, to be God's witnesses is to be the people who remind one another of God's love, which can be done through the simplest acts. But we can also be witnesses by doing just that. Witnessing, seeing, noticing, paying attention to what is happening in the world around us because witnessing is often the first step in helping the world to become a little more like the kingdom of God. First, we have to see the world for what it is. So, as some of us did this week in a meeting about affordable housing and gun violence in our city, we can witness to unjust disparities and senseless violence. We can witness the toll this pandemic has taken on nursing homes and notice what that tells us about how we care for our elderly, especially for those who are elderly and impoverished and in poor health. We can witness the ongoing tragedy and sin of racism that continues to claim lives of too many young people like Ahmad Arbery, and we can witness a justice system that too often fails to deliver the justice it promises. The answer to the question, what now, is always, now is the time to be God's witnesses. It can be hard to know how, and even the disciples had to spend a lot of time in prayer and discernment figuring that out before and after the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But witnessing can always start by noticing and naming the ways the world doesn't yet look like God's kingdom on earth. And wherever you are, and however you can You can witness by reminding the people around you of God's love. When my friend Rebecca was in college, she frequently walked past an old church on the edge of campus. One of the paths leading away from the university to the main street along campus ran by this church. This was the street that had everything from the $5 burrito place to the frat houses to the movie theater to all the major watering holes, and it it went right past this church. As you can imagine, it was a road well-traveled, and in the middle of the path, the church had placed a sign. It was mostly an invitation for people to come inside, But it ended this way. Know that God still cares for this broken world and for all its creatures, and that the cross, even when all else fails, yet makes its appeal. Rebecca read that sign a lot during her four years in college. After September 11th, when we went to war with Iraq, on the day her friend's father died suddenly. Years later, she emailed the church to ask if they could tell her exactly what the sign had said. She was told that the sign had been removed during some construction. When the work was finished, they didn't put it back up. In the words of the church administrator she talked to, some people felt it was awfully gloomy to attract students. It's understandable that some may have found the sign gloomy My suspicion, though, is that even for all the students who never entered the church, that sign did something much more important than lift their spirits or spread good cheer. It answered the right question. Not the question of, when is God going to make your pain go away or solve your problems? But rather, the question of, what is God doing? God still cares. Who receives God's love and care? This broken world and all its creatures. How is God's power and glory revealed? The cross. Even when all else fails, the cross yet makes its appeal. This is a sign that bore witness to the truth the truth that god's glory and power and love and justice are most clearly revealed on the cross we all long for answers to life's toughest questions for solid ground and a path beneath our feet that clearly marks the way forward but as a colleague of mine recently reflected In uncertain times, people long for certainty to return to places and things that offer comfort and stability, but our calling presses us not so much towards certainty, but confidence. And confidence is different from certainty. Certainty is steady, stable, and solid, whereas confidence is stepping off the ledge and believing something is going to catch me. As we seek to follow Jesus in these uncertain times, may we have the confidence to ask the hard questions and to answer, What now? Now, as always, our calling is to be Christ's witnesses, not just in our homes and in our communities, but wherever and whenever and however we can to witness God's love, God's mercy, God's justice, and to proclaim that even when all else fails and all the usual comforts offer little in the way of relief, God is with us still, holding us, guiding us, empowering us. For this time, and for every time to come. Amen.